The Bible lesson for today is written in the sixth chapter of Mark, beginning with verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, That would take more than half a year's wages. How are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. The word of the Lord. Good morning again, everyone. Thank you. I know some of you maybe hadn't quite made it in from the coffee in the lobby yet. I want to introduce myself. My name is Steve. I'm one of your pastors here. If you're new here this morning, I'm really glad that you came here among our church family. I hope the Lord blesses you and fills you with hope and healing this morning. I hope you felt loved and welcomed here among our church family. Uh, in this story that we read from this morning, we're going to be learning from that today, and I want to give you a tool. If you uh, look inside this little handout you got from the ushers, it says open book on the front. There's a little spot where you can take some notes. A lot of times we have an outline or some fill-in-the-blanks. I'm going to let you do some free-form note-taking this morning if you want. And there are some uh, reflection and discussion questions you can use if you have kids or you have a family or want to do this on your own. Uh, Or also if you're part of one of our small groups, there's some study questions in there. And I'll, I'll point you back to that again in a little bit. The story that we read this morning, I notice how there are people in this story who come and encounter Jesus who are tired in a whole number of ways, who are tired in body and tired in soul and tired from all kinds of different circumstances. And I am really struck by the way that Jesus encounters each of these groups or these different people in different ways. And I think there's so much for us to learn, more than is sort of meets the eye right away. I think there's so much for us to learn by reflecting on this story about the character and and the identity of Jesus and the way that he works in our lives and what it's like for us to live life as followers or as a community following Jesus together. Seeing these people encountering Jesus who are tired from so many things in their lives in different ways reminds me, I'm sorry to say, of a concert album I used to listen to back when I was in college. And I will spare us both the details of that story except to tell you this. I remember this moment when the the lead singer, the recording artist, told a little story to his audience, captured live in concert as I recall, 
And he told the story of a conversation he'd had with his own grandfather who was getting on in years. And his grandfather said to him at near the end of his life, or so he imagined it to be, that there are two kinds of tired in life. There's bad tired and there's good tired. It kind of depends on how you spent your time in your life. And he said to his grandson, the singer, I'm good tired and I'm ready to go home. And I kind of think actually there's probably more than two kinds of tired. And I think we see some of them even in this story from different perspectives. But we see the way that Jesus encounters us in different ways that we are weary or broken or tired or have done this to ourselves. How he meets us, has compassion on us and leads us. And there's so much for us, I think, to learn from this story. Let me begin here in the middle of the story, actually, with these crowds that come and admire, come seek after Jesus. They have heard that Jesus is around. They have seen Jesus and some of his disciples, whom he has designated as apostles. I'll say more about that in a minute. They have gotten in a boat and they've gone away to some other place. But this crowd of people, they know that they need him. They want the healing and the hope and the life and the good news that Jesus comes to offer. And so word spreads like wildfire. Rumors spread fast, don't they? And word leaps from town to town and people run down the lakeshore of the Sea of Galilee and somehow arrive at the place that Jesus and his disciples are rowing or sailing their way to. And they get there ahead of Jesus. This crowd gets ahead of Jesus. And I think that they are people who are worn out from life. In all kinds of ways, these are people who are afflicted, who are vulnerable, who are harried, and who are bedraggled. And they are hurting, and they have come running for Jesus. And Jesus and his apostles get out of the boat. And Mark, the gospel writer, tells us that Jesus has compassion on them. He has compassion on them. Jesus has compassion on a lot of people in this story. It's a part of his character. Interesting how he holds together compassion and tension sometimes. We'll see in a few minutes. He has compassion on them for he sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. Can you picture that? Like what does that image do for you? The Bible is full of so many images, parables, phrases, metaphors like this. Imagine sheep without a shepherd. How many of you have ever worked as a shepherd? Any full-time professional shepherds here in suburban Columbus? Not really, right? Okay, you probably can get fined for that in most of our suburbs around here. I don't know. Maybe not you guys. You probably could do it. I imagine sheep that need to be cared for that need to be fed, that need to be led into the place where they're going. I hear that sheep are not the most intelligent of animals. I don't know what it means that God keeps comparing his people to sheep in the Bible, but uh, it's humbling and reassuring also in some ways. These sheep were vulnerable, needed to be fed and cared for and protected. But it's not only what this image evokes in our own imaginations, which carries us quite a ways. But this phrase is actually one that has a lot of history in the Bible. Jesus and his followers would have recognized this phrase from a number of important Old Testament stories. The first and perhaps most famous or one of the most significant instances is at the end of Moses' life. Moses, a great prophet and leader and rescuer of God's people about a thousand and a half years before Jesus. When Moses was getting on in years and approaching the end of his life, he prays to God for someone to succeed him as the leader of God's people. Moses has been God's instrument. He's been God's leader to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. They were in bondage and they were suffering and Moses led them out and across the waters of the Red Sea and through the wilderness to the cusp of the promised land. But God tells Moses, you don't get to be the one that takes them all the way into the promised land. You're you're not gonna live for the rest of the journey. 
And Moses, I think, has compassion for the people. And he asks God, he prays, God, then raise up somebody else. Raise up a new leader for them so that they will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So they won't be out here untended, uncared for, untaught, unprovided for. Moses, the great teacher of God's people. Moses, who was the mouthpiece through whom God gave his law to the people of Israel in the Old Testament to teach them what is a godly, what is the godly way of living. Moses gave them the law. He was the leader and rescuer who led them out of bondage. And now in many ways, Jesus, a a part of his identity, is like a a Latter-day Moses, a second Moses, who is the great teacher of God's people, who gives them not the law, but rather himself in the presence of his own spirit, who says, come follow me in the way of God. And who is the one who rescues and saves God's people from bondage, not necessarily, though maybe also including a, a political, physical kind of slavery or bondage, but also bondage to ourselves, slavery to sin, which we confessed in our confession a moment ago. Jesus comes to give us new life and to set us free. Do you know the name of the successor to Moses that Moses prayed for? His name was Joshua, which just happens to be the same name that Jesus has, actually in Aramaic. They're both Yeshua, Joshua, a name that means the Lord saves, the one who leads God's people into the promised land and Joshua led them actually literally across the Jordan River, past the town of Jericho, into a new location. Jesus leads us not so much into a new physical location, though he may sometimes call us in that way, I suppose. But he leads us into the kingdom of God, into life in the presence of the Holy Spirit, into life in his salvation. We see how Jesus is the great shepherd, so that so the people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. There's another passage that honestly I, I didn't think of when I was reading this and in, pre- in preparing for today and studying this passage, I was taken back to uh, some words that God inspired to the ancient prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel lived about 500 years or so before Jesus at a very difficult time in the life of God's people. And in Ezekiel chapter 34 is all full of imagery of God's people being like sheep who either don't have a shepherd or who have bad shepherds. <laughs> You can read this passage you want later. It's actually it's printed in the discussion questions that I gave you, so you can, you can read this passage later. In reflecting on this passage myself in preparation for today, I began to suspect that this might have been one of Jesus' own favorite Bible passages. I see so much resonance between the things that God was saying and foretelling and promising here and the ministry that Jesus led among the people 2,000 years ago, 500 years after Ezekiel. God speaks a word of critique to Ezekiel, compassion for his people, but critique for the shepherds, for the rulers. And I think that meant both the, the kings and the governors and also the priests and the teachers of Israel who saw positions of leadership among God's people as an opportunity for self, as an opportunity for self-indulgence and for self-advancement. This, of course, is a terrible temptation for all leaders to make it about ourselves rather than for the people whom we serve. And I think Jesus saw this happening in his own day. And he sees the people of Israel there along the shores of Lake Galilee who have been misled and mistaught by the teachers of God's word, who have been misled by their governors and political leaders, who are afflicted in all so many different ways. And Jesus has compassion on them, for they are like sheep without a shepherd. They've been afflicted by all the things of this world that come to steal life from us. You encounter things like this all the time, and so do I. And Jesus, instead, seeing them in compassion, becomes the good shepherd who does not take life from them, but gives them life by laying down his own life for them. 
that they might have life. Jesus is the good shepherd, the savior, the the hope for all this crowd and also for us. But there's another set of people who encounter Jesus in this passage, and it's not the crowd who comes running down to meet Jesus, but it's those apostles who were in the boat with him. In this story, they're called apostles in particular, and this is a different designation. Jesus had many disciples, and we think that sometimes Jesus had 12 disciples. It's kind of a famous phrase to use, but it's a little bit misleading. Jesus had a great many disciples, people who were learning to follow him, learning to know God and live life in his way. He had many disciples. Twelve of them, at one point, he designated as apostles, which literally means ones who are sent out, ones who are commissioned, given some work to do. And a little bit earlier than this story, Jesus had taken these 12 and he had apostolized them. He had commissioned them. He had sent them out to do the work of the kingdom and declare the good news of his salvation to more towns and villages than he could get to by himself. And that's why this story begins by telling us that these apostles came back and reported to Jesus all that they had taught and done because they were out scattered, sent by Jesus, and they came back and said, here's what we saw and here's what we experienced. And they were tired from doing it all. They were tired from it. In fact, Jesus even said to them, you should come aside with me to a deserted place. Let's go together to a quiet place now where we can pray and we can rest and you can spend time with me. The story said because so many people were coming and going and had so many needs that they didn't even have time to eat anymore. It's it's kind of poignant to me. That actually feels a lot like our lives. I know as a parent of two teenagers, but it actually happens at at many stages and seasons of life. There's barely time to have meals anymore because we have overscheduled ourselves to such a degree. I I feel like I feel the the poignancy of that passage. And Jesus pulls them aside and they get in this boat to go to a quiet place and take some rest. Are you ever tired from serving? Do you ever get tired from serving the Lord? In, In any vocation and any calling that he's given you. I mean, perhaps it can be some specific mission or ministry the way we think about it. Maybe you have taken a trip like the one that we saw in the harp video and you labored and you came back and you were tired from that. Maybe you serve as one of the volunteer teams here at church serving one another. Maybe you are serving God in the job that you have, the way that you contribute to the world. Maybe in a family. Maybe you bear one another's burdens with your friends, parent your children. It could be all kinds of different ways. Anybody else ever tired from serving? I'm tired from serving a lot of weeks on Sunday, right about 1.30 in the afternoon or somewhere right around there, right? We all experience that. And you know what? I don't, I don't think that's wrong. Uh, I think sometimes, sometimes that's good tired. It's, it feels good to pour out, to give the Lord what you have and get to participate in the eternally lasting impact and work. To get to participate in the work of God is good. It's not bad to be tired from serving. But you know what's dangerous? When tired from serving tips over into tired of serving. <laughs> Have you ever felt that? <laughs> it's like a burnout kind of thing, right? Like, I don't, I don't know how much longer I want to keep doing this. I just, I just need a break from this. I'm just done. I think one of the reasons that tired from serving the Lord tips over into tired of serving is because we have a tendency to miss this thing that Jesus did next with his disciples. He said, man, you've been working so hard. Come away with me now to a quiet place and let's get some rest. Spend time with the Lord. You've been pouring out. It's time to be filled up again. If all you do is pour out and pour out and pour out, all you get is empty, right? We start to feel a little bit torn apart and disintegrated. And Jesus, this is utterly normal in his life. It is utterly normal. I missed it for so many years in my readings of the gospel because it wasn't so exciting. (laughs) The stories are real short because all it says is Jesus withdrew to a quiet place and prayed. I'm like, cool, what's the next story, right? 
But these are really important rhythms of life that Jesus models and also teaches to his disciples. Rhythms of Sabbath rest, which I think can apply to a literal Sabbath day, but also to seasons of rest and refilling. But there's something really interesting then and difficult that happens in this story. He and his apostles get in the boat. They retreat to a quiet place to be alone together. And the crowd gets there before they do, right? And Jesus gets out of the boat. And this is why it's so significant. He has had so much compassion for his apostles who are tired from serving. And he wants to refill them. And then he gets here and he has compassion on the crowds also, right? It reminds me of this article I read Oh, probably 10 years ago or so, an article called Compassion Fatigue. We're all tired of have, having compassion on other people, which is really a worrisome thing, but also a realistic thing. How, to, how does Jesus heal us so we don't run out of compassion? I think this is an example. But they get there, and now Jesus takes his apostles who are tired from serving, and in this case, in this one case, he presses them further. <laughs> He asks them yet for greater sacrifice, right? The disciples, the apostles, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you got to send these, after he's taught them so many things, you got to send these people away. We're out here in the wilderness. Nobody has anything to eat. They got to go to the surrounding villages to buy food. And Jesus' answer to them is, you give them something to eat, right? I wonder what the motivation of the apostles was. Was it compassion like Jesus? I care about them. I want good for them. Or was it a certain sense of entitlement? Like, this was my private time with you, Lord, and here are these people intruding on my time. I suspect their motives were mixed. Do you know why I suspect their motives are mixed? Because all of our motives are mixed. (laughs) Because my motives are mixed. Because we all live that way so much of the time. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. He gives the work back to them, I think, when they thought they were done. And then, like, how are we supposed to do that? How are we going to afford to buy food for thousands of people? And he says, what do you have? And they go digging through their satchel. You know, five loaves, two fish. And Jesus takes what little they have. Do you think that's enough? Is five loaves enough to feed thousands of people? It's a not. It's not. But sometimes when we give what little we have to the Lord, he makes it abound. He makes it multiply. And they gave it to the Lord, and he has the group sit down, all these thousands of people. He has them sit down, and then he gives thanks for this, blesses it to distribute it in words, honestly, that echo a little bit of the table that we often share when a little is offered to us and it abounds. Jesus offers this, and then he gives it to the apostles and says, now you distribute it to them. He keeps giving them this work to do. Jesus has been teaching. He's been discipling. He's been apprenticing his disciples when he sent them out in the first place. And also, he gave them on-the-job training, right? And then they came back, and then he discipled them. He, he taught them. He modeled for them. Rest. Come away with me now to a quiet place. But here, I think he says, well, you guys are ready for the 201 course now. You're ready for, pushed a little bit further now. And he pushes them a little bit further. I notice that he takes, he asks them in this instance for all that they have. Sometimes the Lord will ask us for all that we have. I notice that he does not ask them for more than they have. They can't meet every need. They're not capable of that. Sometimes I think we flatter ourselves by thinking we're capable of meeting every need. He asks them for all that they have, and then he makes it enough. Something that I'm sensitive to in this passage is a tension, a constructive tension, I think. Here among our church family, we are learning as followers of Jesus to love God and neighbor with soft hearts, engaged minds, open hands, and whole spirits. Do you ever feel like there could be a tension between open hands and whole spirits? 
between surrendering to God open-handedly, God, everything I have is yours. What do you want me to do with it? I'm at your disposal. To having hands open to my neighbor to say, my life, my time, my resources are not here for me. I'm not here to advance myself. I'm here to love my neighbor as myself. And we share generously and sacrificially. But many of you have experienced exhaustion from that. You've experienced burnout from that. And it exists, I think, in tension with whole spirits where we can feel disintegrated and pulled apart by pouring out all the time when we also need to hold in tension and balance Jesus putting us back together again, making us whole so that we have more to give. I think these exist. They're not in contradiction. We don't get to pick one or the other. I think the Lord wants for us both open hands and wholeness of self and whole spirit. As followers of Jesus, we live with both sacrifice and health. I'll tell you, there's, there's an instinct that I have. Frankly, it's wrong, but I'm going to tell you what it is anyway. <laughs> there's an instinct that I have as a teacher to want to give you the principle, to want to give you the criterion, to give you three simple tests that all rhyme with each other. And if you would just apply these in your life, then you will know how to hold open hands and whole spirits together at all times. But you know, Jesus, unlike Moses, didn't come to give us the law. He came to give us his spirit, and he gave us himself. And he leads us in the way of God. And I think if we learn from this story, we'll see that we have three things. We have the need of our neighbor. The need of our neighbor can be exhausting. The need of our neighbor is huge. And the need of our neighbor is what God has given us to meet. Love your neighbor as yourself. But we also have the very leading of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. As the apostles had Jesus in the flesh, so we have the living spirit of Jesus in our lives who promises to be with us still and who is present to us in the third thing that we have, which is the community. We have one another to bear one another's burdens when we are feeling disintegrated and all poured out. Also to not only sacrifice ourselves, but as a community to bear one another up. When I don't have enough, we together can try to meet one another's needs and meet the needs of the world around us. And then finite and broken as we are, we bring to Jesus what we have, what little we have, and he makes it enough. And he somehow provides and makes it enough for us and also for the world around us. Let me finish just by offering you an an invitation, a sheepish invitation, if you will, an invitation to the shepherd. Maybe you come to this passage. When I read Bible stories like this, I find myself identifying sometimes with one character more than another, sometimes with a whole bunch of characters all at the same time, different sides of who I am, different experiences. Maybe part of you or all of you encounters this story and you identify with these apostles because you have just been pouring out and you are tired from all that the Lord has given you to do. Maybe it's a good tired, but you know what? It's still tired and too much of a good thing is still too much. And it may be that as you encounter the Lord here in worship right now and you're feeling pulled apart and worn out by all that the world has done to you, that Jesus is saying to you, come with me to a quiet place for a while. It's okay to set aside some of the things that are pulling your life in 7,000 directions. That's not the life that I want for you. Come aside with me to a quiet place that we could pray that I could refill you and, and make you whole again. Maybe you look at the disciples and have an opportunity to see the great joy of participating in the mission of God, and you're like, you know what? I actually have been receiving quite a bit, and I feel called into greater service, and maybe that's where you are today. It occurs to me also that many of us may have come here this morning or come here on Sunday mornings with an experience that today or other days is more like the crowd. We are just beat up. 
We are just beat down. We are pulled apart and we are wounded, perhaps by ourselves, perhaps by our communities, perhaps by the forces of this world. And we came here running, desperate, panting, needing the hope and healing that comes from Jesus. You came here for Jesus and instead you got a bunch of finite, broken sinners like us, right? And it's a part of me that wants to say, I'm sorry about that. (laughs) But there's another part of me that I think sees this as a testimony (laughs) to the goodness and patience and grace and healing power of God. That if his grace can be sufficient for me and for all the rest of us, then it can be sufficient for all of us and for any of us. Sometimes it's the broken places, it's the cracks in our lives that let the light in, that let the light shine through so that we can see where the light comes from. I want to offer you this invitation here at the, at the end of this time of reflection on the Word of God, that we come to Jesus in prayer, that we come into his presence. I want to invite you into his healing, into his hope, into his rest, to be refilled for the life that he has for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you perhaps like the crowds beaten down and beaten up and we need your restoration. Perhaps differently or perhaps also just like the apostles did from having been out there in the battle, out in the places where you've sent us to, out there fighting the good fight and we're tired from it, but we don't want to be tired of it. And so we come to you. We know that what we bring, you can multiply. What we bring is an offering to you and you make it abound and you make it enough. Lord, I pray by your spirit here, pour into us. Make our spirits whole. Knit ourselves together and knit us together as a a community, a family of your people. I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, strengthen us, feed us by your word that we would be strong and sent back out to serve you again. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.